You are listening to the Capital District Civil War Roundtable Podcast, a podcast covering all things Civil War. Please subscribe by going to our website, www.capitaldistrictcivilwar.org. Welcome to the Capital District Civil War Roundtable Podcast. I'm Nick Tony, your host. Today, we are at the Malta Community Center. Malta is in Saratoga County in upstate New York, a few miles south of Saratoga Springs. And our guest is Paul Perrault. Paul is the Malta Town Historian, an expert of the subject of this podcast, Colonel Elmer Ellsworth. Paul, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for uh, coming all the way up here. There's a reason we're here in Malta. So before we talk about Ellsworth's um, sort of meteoric rise to fame uh, before the war and the significance of his death as the first soldier killed in the war, uh, can you talk a little bit about Ellsworth's ties to Malta? I can. He was born here in 1837. You probably came up the north way and got off at exit uh, 12. Well, at the intersection where you turned north onto Route 9 is a diner. And it was the Rogers Hotel back in the 1830s, and Elmer uh, was born there. Although I need to state something uh, right up front, Elmer's uh, first name is not Elmer. It's it's uh, uh, his dad's name, Ephraim. Yep. Ephraim. Uh, he he was uh, named after his dad, Ephraim Elmer, but probably wisely chose when he was a teenager to reverse the order to distinguish himself from his dad. And of course, he's been known as Elmer ever since. So he was born in in, uh, in Malta, and he was born, if you if remember your history, in 1837, there was a serious uh, depression going on in the country. Uh, it was probably the most serious depression uh, prior to the one in, in the 1930s. His dad was a tailor, and that was one of the um, luxuries that people in, in uh, Malta felt that they could do without uh, during a depression. So times are hard, and they were particularly hard for the Ellsworth family. His father tried a number of different trades. He, he used to butcher uh, for the area of farmers. He actually caught pigeons and sold them, and uh, he also uh, wholesaled oysters. Where he got the oysters, I have no idea, but, <laughs> but he did. But things still didn't work out. So when Elmer was a, a teenager, the family moved to Mechanicsville, and that's where uh, Elmer grew up as, as a teen, and that's where the family, uh, his parents remained even after uh, Elmer passed on. What was his personality like? Uh, even as a boy, there, there's not a ton out there about him, but it's very mm -hmm. clear that he was a certain type of... He, he was a romantic. He was a 19th century romantic. He wanted, uh, he was impressed with the military, uh, the military life and style as a teen. Uh, he wanted to go to West Point, uh, yet he couldn't even complete high school because of uh, of the family's uh, situation. He started a group uh, or organized a group of boys in the Stillwater Mechanicsville area uh, that practiced military drills. So as a teenager, uh, rather than uh, seeing sports figures as an idol, as we do today, he saw military men as, as the type of... Uh, lifestyle that he wanted to uh, follow. And uh, he, of course, eventually did. And he, I, I read somewhere that he took a vow of sobriety at a young age. Um, he did. He, he, he played sold, toy soldiers, yep. he built forts, um, and he probably 
Um, being here in Malta, not far from Saratoga, where race season opens tomorrow, you probably <laughs> saw a number of uh, cadets on their way up to, that's, to Saratoga. That's very possible. Uh, in addition to that, his grandfather uh, fought in right. the Battle of Saratoga, so he had that tradition, uh, I'm sure, passed down. I'm sure there were many stories uh, passed down to him. Um, relatives on his mother's side also fought in the battle, so that uh, he had all sorts of people probably uh, giving him um, examples of, of what, uh, how glory could be found. Now, do we know um, he, he eventually ends up in New York City? Not for long, but do we know anything about his time in New York City? We, we know a little bit. Uh, it's, inter this, it's an interesting story, I believe, how he got there. It's almost an Horatio Alger story. Um, he, he left school at about age 15. And he started selling newspapers on a train that actually went from Boston Spa down to Troy. But he sold it from the, it went through Mechanicsville, and, and he sold it on the, the branch that, that went from Mechanicsville to Troy. Uh, he impressed a Troy businessman with his uh, gumption, his get up and go, his personality probably. And that fellow offered him a clerkship in Troy. So he actually uh, worked in a clothing store in Troy for a little while. Uh, that led to some sort of a connection with New York City, either the, the uh, attraction of a, a big city or perhaps he encountered another business person who uh, wanted to, to bring him down there. So he started clerking in New York City also, but that wasn't a very exciting life. So he, he transferred or he went to work for a, an engineering firm that was working on Hell's Gate. Now, Hell's Gate is the uh, channel in the East River that right today is a, a major uh, transportation source, but in those days was a very dangerous uh, uh, tributary, and, and there was a lot of engineering work to do. Uh, he went to work for them. That company uh, apparently lost the contract or got more interested in work out in Chicago, and so they transferred out there, and he went with them. And that's how uh, Elmer got to the Midwest from, from uh, Mechanicsville in that regard, but it was always upward and onward. Yeah, and I think that sort of, um, I was reading in Adam Goodhart's book, um, 1861, The Civil War Awakening, Chicago was sort of uh, a town that was, uh, there were a lot of Elmer Ellsworths, it sounds like, in Chicago, <laughs> you know, sort so. of uh, young men trying to yeah. find uh, their way. Um, what uh, so he, he arrives in Chicago uh, in the mid or late 1850s. Correct. Uh, and Probably he, 1858. 1858. And he, he picks up, I think, a couple of odd jobs uh, yes. here and there. Sawmill, um, I think, at a patent agency as well. He, he did. Um, but he, None of which were successful. Right, <laughs> right. But what he is very successful with is as a... Um, uh, he, he joins a militia out there. Uh, he, he joined... Um, Yes, you could describe it as a militia. Um, it was it was called the Chicago Zouave Cadets, and it was um, a group of young men who uh, dressed in fancy uniforms, uh, participated in military style drills, and physical exercise. Uh, it was at that time for, that he took the vow of, of sobriety and. and uh, anti-tobacco, he was very uh, anti-smoking also. Uh, and they were called Zouave cadets because Zouaves is a tribe in Algeria, believe it or not, the, the connection seems 
kind of strange. But the French were fighting the uh, Zouaves in, during the 1830s as they were conquering Algeria. And they, they uh, came to admire the Zouaves because of their uh, uh, finesse and, and their ability uh, and their tenacity as, as uh, fighters. So the French army um, adopted many of the uh, tactics of the Zouaves and the colorful uniforms, red uh, type of pants, blue jackets, etc. So when you see uh, pictures of the Crimean War, um, you'll see that type of a uniform, which today seems awful strange. Why would you want to wear red and blue in, sure. in, uh, on military? But in those days, it, it had its uh, purpose. Of course, that was the, the day and age of, uh, of uh, fighting uh, and, and gaining glory, perhaps even through, through death. So the Zouave movement in the United States became uh, very popular uh, amongst young men. It was, it was a social movement. Uh, it was an opportunity to get together. They had gymnasiums or, or uh, uh, meetings and, cl and clubs, etc. And I think a lot of drinking probably did, if, if there were young men there, a lot of drinking took place, but uh, not uh, on Elmer's part. But uh, he, he met a fellow that had been a surgeon in the French army. And the, the fellow had the manual of drill uh, that uh, was used by the French army and adopted from the Zouave movement. And so because uh, Elmer uh, had the manual and, and studied it, he became the captain of this outfit at age 19. Um, and, and he became the, uh, the leader, and he loved it. This was what he wanted all, all of his life. This is what he, he dreamed of as, as a young man. And so he drills them into this fine, this fine group of soldiers who end up touring the way that a modern analogy a rock group would tour um they travel across the united states and and crowds from all over the yep. place come to see them and it's a phenomenon because of their style i mean they, they're uh one of the quotes i'm, I'm going to misquote it now but the, the soldiers of the day were ponderous and slow and yep. these guys were acrobats, acrobats. and gymnasts and yes. they were you know, doing things that people had never seen soldiers do before. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about that? I can. In, in 1859, uh, his group participated in a competition, and they were competitions amongst the, these various uh, uh, militia-type groups. And it, it took place in Chicago, and, and his group won. Now, what, uh, and then they gained a lot of publicity because of it. Much of that publicity does not mention the fact that there were only three groups participating, but be that as it may, they won. So the following year, in 1860, uh, they decided to tour the eastern part of the United States, and they did. Uh, they, they left um, uh, Chicago. They went to Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, and Albany, and then down to New York City. By the time they got to New York City, the New York Times was refer and it was a front-page story, referring to it as the military furor. They, the, the excitement was so great that people had to get tickets. They were scheduled to spend a week in Madison Square Garden, and yes, there was a Madison Square Garden, and it was not the same one. They ended up spending two weeks. The, the people in New York City wouldn't let them go. They, they uh, insisted that they extend their tour. Boston had not been on the original tour. They were scheduled to go elsewhere after New York City. Well, 
Boston has an inferiority complex to New York City, as you well know, <laughs> and they insisted that they be included. So the, the tour had to be uh, uh, changed and arrangements had to be changed. They went to Boston. They spent a couple of days there. They then went to Baltimore and to Washington, uh, D.C. They uh, performed on the White House lawn in front of President Buchanan. Uh, they went after that to uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. And uh, I'm, I know I'm leaving someplace out. I think they went to St. Louis, too. But they ended up back in, in Chicago. John Hay, who uh, was Lincoln's uh, secretary, and I believe it was his secretary uh, prior to uh, the election also, said that uh, at this time, Elmer Ellsworth was the most recognized man in the country and that women swooned over his golden locks and, and, uh, his, and uh, he was just the, the envy of, of all the other men. And, and doing research to, pre to prepare for this interview, uh, I looked over some old newspapers mm -hmm. and uh, before, I mean, in this period, 1860, before he's killed and that becomes a huge story, there are advertisements all over the newspapers about where the Chicago's wives are gonna be performing. Yep and uh, also advertisements selling the drill book that, yes. uh, that what sounds like uh, Elmer maybe have, maybe took a few things from the, the, the French uh, Zouave. He took uh, a lot. <laughs> a lot, but, uh, and, and you know, the, the, uh, the author Adam Goodhart doesn't stop short of saying that this is one of America's uh, first sort of celebrity sex symbols. Um, yes. You know, a quote here was, he was markedly handsome, spirited, magnetic and more than a mite theatrical dark brown hair that fell in careless clinging curls about his <laughs> neck eyes of dark hazel that flashed and sparkled a face smooth and uh, fair as a maiden's lip lips full and red teeth of dazzling whiteness and to uh, uh and a voice uh like a young thunderbolt um i mean you know you can't make this stuff up it makes you wonder who wrote that yeah exactly um <laughs> And, and uh, you know, John Hay, again, saying that his pictures sold like wildfire yes. in every city. Yep. Um, you know, again, this is a celebrity. This yep. is not unlike a rock star of, you know, Absolutely. 100 years later. Absolutely. Um, so uh, talking about John Hay, uh, he uh, and uh, that that brings us to his relationship uh, with Lincoln. OK. Um, can you talk about his relationship with Lincoln? I can. When he returned to Chicago, he, had, of course, had been made colonel of this uh, militia outfit. Now, at, he's 23 um, years old at, at, at this time. He's colonel. He gets appointed the assistant adjutant general of the state of Illinois, okay, uh, which is a grandiose title, in my opinion. It carried no salary whatsoever, but it did require him to go to Springfield on occasion. Well, when he went to Springfield, he met the most outstanding citizen in Springfield, Illinois, Abraham Lincoln, who had three young sons at that time. And he was invited to the Lincoln home. And you can imagine the young uh, sons, particularly the, the two youngest, uh, and their infatuation with this fellow in his fancy uniform and, and all the adoration that, that he's getting. So he became a favorite of, of the Lincoln family. And he uh, signed up to study law with the Herndon and, and Lincoln uh, law firm. But he, in addition to that, now this is 1860, 
and and of course the campaign is is starting the, uh, for presidency. So he became a stump speaker for Lincoln, and he would speak twice, three times a day. Sometimes he was one of the most popular stump speakers. I don't know how much law got studied uh, during that that time frame, but. Uh, he became a, an intimate of the Lincoln family. He became someone they depended on and uh, who they greatly admired. And I think uh, Lincoln became um, father figure might be taking it a little too far, but um, a quote from Ellsworth himself, uh, he looked at Lincoln as somebody like him who didn't come from much. Mm-hmm. Um, quote, I believe that the influence of Mr. L, um, that being uh, Lincoln, yep. would do me great service, I mean the influence of his early example. He earned his subsistence while studying law, splitting rails. Um, so they're clearly, uh, he, he, um, you know, uh, he related to him in that sense. Um, so to skip a little, well, a little ahead, I mean, Lincoln is elected, as we know. Yep. Um, and as you said, Ellsworth is, is a um, campaign speaker for him. Um, 1861 comes, uh, Lincoln I think, help secure, secures a job for Ellsworth in the War Department. Well, let me interrupt you, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Um, uh, Before the the Washington uh, phase, they have to get to Washington. Okay. okay? Mm -hmm. And so Lincoln makes a uh, triumphal uh, trip through the north, and it almost copies the one we mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, Buffalo, Rochester, et cetera, making all those things. Uh, Elmer was appointed head of security for that train. Now, there was no Secret right. Service. And while the, the name Pinkerton certainly is associated with the protection of, of uh, Abraham Lincoln on that trip, that didn't happen until Baltimore. Prior to that, Elmer Ellsworth was the man who provided the security for uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, to the point that the following instructions were give, or sent ahead to any city in which Lincoln was going to make an appearance. Quote, The president-elect will under no circumstances attempt to pass through any crowd until such arrangements are made as will meet with the approval of Colonel Ellsworth. So he, that shows, I think, the importance of this this young man. And and the relationship they had. I mean, the the incredible faith he had. Exactly. Um, So so shortly after that, they they do get to Washington. Yes. uh, Ellsworth is given a job in the War Department. He is appointed. Lincoln gives him a uh, appointment as a lieutenant in the regular army. Now here he is. He's 20 years old, uh, 23 years old. Excuse me. He's just been appointed a lieutenant in an army in which West Point graduates spend their entire career in the hopes that they might become a captain before they retire. Uh, so it was not accepted very well. It ruffled some feathers. It in ruffled the some feathers. But his job was supposed to be to organize the militias that were anticipated uh, uh, that were going to be uh, be uh, raised and, and needed. That was the the job that Lincoln saw him fulfilling. Then that's that's a paperwork job. That's a bureaucratic job. That was not Elmer's strength, and he must have recognized that. And it was certainly not his am- ambition. So in April, when um, Lincoln called for 75,000 uh, volunteers, uh, Ellsworth resigned his commission, and he went to New York City, the place that he had spent a couple weeks earlier, and he organized the militia, and he selected New York City firemen. Now, I don't know if there was a professional 
fire department at that time or if they were volunteers i'm i'm tending to, i'm guessing it was in the the process of changing I, from i think at that point one to the it other. might be uh a mixture of both yeah but uh, i did read that they were volunteers yeah uh, well my little knowledge of of new york city volunteer firemen from that time period was that they were a rough crowd okay uh they used to have contracts with the insurance companies and whoever got to the fire first whichever company got to the fire first uh could put it out uh and gain the money from from an insurance company so it was not uh, not unknown that uh, two companies would show up at the same time, and instead of fighting the fire, they fought each other as the as <laughs> for the, the right house to put it out. out. Right. <laughs> so I guess he knew what what he was he was doing, but in two weeks' time, he got 1,100 volunteers. He elected officers. He created a uniform and he uniformed the the uh, uh, the force. They created a flag. Uh, they were called the New York City Zouav, uh, Fire Zouaves uh, uh, Regiment. And he got them to Washington, D.C. I think a, a tremendous tactical uh, uh, and logistical uh, operation. Well, in fact, one of the issues was I think he raised too many men, that, that, that yes. they weren't going to accept uh, his regiment because it was they were too Oversized. Many. Yeah. Yep. And uh, just to go back to the, to, to the New York City firemen, mm -hmm. I, I think Ellsworth himself, himself said uh, – you know, the reason he wanted them, I want the New York firemen, for there are no more effective men in the country and none with whom I can do so much. They are sleeping on a volcano at Washington, and I want men who can go in and fight now. Very you good. Know, so um, so they, they do go to Washington. Yep. Um, not surprisingly, uh, they do develop a, a bit of a rowdy reputation, they I did. think, right off the bat. <laughs> they did. <laughs> but they, uh, they uh, cleaned up their reputation. Uh, one night when a fire took place in a, in a hotel, I think it was the Willard Hotel, but I, I could be yeah. wrong, mm -hmm. and they, uh, they helped put it out. And they did so in, in a couple instances by standing on uh, each other sh on, on the shoulders of other firemen and getting the hose up in, into uh, the proper area. So they showed that physical stamina, that dexterity, etc. And they were given a reward, uh, an amount of money, which we'll, we can talk about afterwards, what, what they did with it. But this all took place in, uh, prior to um, any, uh, any action that, that uh, took place. Yeah. And uh, it's, you know, at this time, it's, uh, again, Fort Sumter's been fired on. Yes. Uh, you've got uh, soldiers coming into D.C., um, and, and Ellsworth has the ear of Lincoln. I mean, yes. I think he's visiting the White, the White House often. He I'm kno sure. knows the Lincoln family, uh, and there is a... Uh, a flag that I, I believe is visible from yes. from the White House and from uh, uh, from Washington that is flying across the Potomac in Alexandria. Correct. Uh, it is a rebel flag, not the one that I think immediately comes to everybody's mind. That's but the, correct. The one with the three bars yep. and the in the stars in the corner. Um, can you? And I think Ellsworth makes a promise to uh, to uh, Mary Lincoln that he's going to give her that flag. He may have. He I, may I have. It, no, uh, you that, know, those, over the years, maybe that became a nice story Those are stories to tell. that are, are yeah. very nice, right. Um, one of the biggest, big issues at, at that time, of course, was what was, going, what was Virginia going to do? And the Virginia legislature had voted to succeed. But according to the uh, Virginia Constitution, that was not legitimate until followed up by a, a vote of, of the, the people. Well, that vote took place on, on May the, the 23rd. And... Um, 
Ellsworth was immediately uh, ordered to uh, cross the Potomac, go to Alexandria. Now, he was not ordered to bring down the Marshall House flag, but he was ordered to take the telegraph office and the railroad uh, yards, uh, et cetera. That was his, his purpose. And they did. They crossed the Potomac. And he then took a small group, because that flag apparently was bothering him. And he took a small group uh, to the Marshall House. And they, they went up to the roof. They took the flag down. And they were coming back down the stairs when the, not the owner, but the manager of the Marshall House appeared with a shotgun. He uh, aimed it at Ellsworth, who was holding the flag. He shot him right in the heart, killed him immediately, okay? There was a soldier from, from Troy, Francis Brownell, who uh, was a corporal at the time, and he was actually the first one coming down the stairs. He had uh, attempted to shoot Brownell, but he tripped. And he didn't fall, but he, he, he tripped. And so Brownell got his shot off. Or excuse me, uh, um, um, the, uh, the, propri hotel, yeah. the proprietor got his shot mm -hmm. off. And then Brunel shot him. And to make sure he stabbed him with the yeah, sword, I, I just to be sure. He shot him in the face and then stabbed him. Yes, right. Yeah, just for, that was for the good order. measure. Right. Um, so, so Ellsworth is killed on the spot. He's killed And then so is the yeah. proprietor. And, I, yeah. you know, this is such an interesting story because Ellsworth, we'll talk more about the incident, but Ellsworth becomes this national hero. Yeah. Um, the, the most, who was already the, one of the most famous men in America, who's now killed um, and in a lot of people's eyes murdered. Um, yes. And you've got the proprietor, who's a man named James Jackson, uh, who becomes a hero in the South. Yes. Uh, who be who's just as big and um, who was a secessionist and uh, somebody who didn't like the, you know, the, quote, black republicanism yep. of uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln. And it wasn't until last year there was a plaque that that w remained on, it's on on the Marshall House is on still the Marshall there. House, yeah. The mm -hmm. plaque to Jackson is is still there, or has it been taken it, down? So uh, according to an it's online still source, there, I believe it was taken yeah. down in 2017. But I I Google mapped it, and there it was. I think it's still there. So yeah. you know, um, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so um, Ellsworth is killed. And it, if but, I mm -hmm. may interrupt, there was a gentleman who lives in Alexandria who contacted myself and and uh, the historian over in Mechanicsville to try to get us, and we, and we of course, did, uh, to support a movement to uh, not to take down Jackson's plaque, but to put up one uh, uh, for Ellsworth uh, on the hotel a couple years ago. That movement failed. The ah, I bet, yeah. Daughters of, of the, uh, uh, the Civil War uh, daughters uh, opposed it, and it failed. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, and Lincoln is told that Ellsworth has been killed. He is. And, and if you don't mind, I, I'd like to read something that uh, of course. that refers to that. And it's, it was written by a, a New York Herald uh, reporter on May the, the 24th, 1861. Um, he wrote this years afterwards, but this is what he wrote. As we entered the library, we observed Mr. Lincoln before a window, looking out across the Potomac. He did not move until we approached very closely. When he turned around abruptly, and he advanced towards us, extending his hand. Excuse me, he said, but I can't talk. Then to our surprise, the president burst into tears, concealing his face in his handkerchief. After composing himself somewhat, Mr. Lincoln sat down and invited us to him. I will make no apology, gentlemen, he said, for my weakness but I knew poor Ellsworth well, 
and I held him in great regard. Wow. And the Ellsworth, his body is taken to the White House. It is. Uh, they lay him out in the East Room, I yes. believe. Uh, and there's a funeral there that's attended, of course, by Lincoln and yep. his family. And, and, and some cabinet members. Yes. And, um, and then Ellsworth, uh, his body, and I believe with Brownell still uh, standing by its side, yep. um, uh, makes the journey back to uh, Mechanicville. Well, there were two stops before they got to Mechanicville. Uh, one was in New York City, where it's estimated 10,000 people passed right. uh, uh, by the casket. The second one was in Albany at the Capitol, what was then the, the Capitol. And then finally to um, Hudson View Cemetery in, in Mechanicsville, as, as you state, which is where he's buried, of course. Yep. And uh, Brownell, I believe, uh, it takes a little while, but he receives a Medal of Honor. He did, okay. He, uh, Brownell was not the first person to receive the Medal of Honor, but his actions were the first one to earn the Medal of Honor. It took a while, other people uh, uh, received the medal, but he was the first one to have earned the Medal of Honor. Yeah. Um, so uh, we touched on it briefly, but I don't think we can s sort of underestimate the impact that his death had. Well, I think you're absolutely right. and and. That lesson was driven home to me when I went down to the um, uh, library in, in Albany to do some research, and I thought, well, I want to read the New York Times and, uh, for the following day, couple of days. And I assume, well, I'm, this, the Civil War is breaking out. I'm going to have to look in page 5 or 10 or someplace to find out that Elmer Ellsworth was killed. You look on the first page, and you look in the upper left-hand corner, and it's the feature article in the paper. In, in other words, if you read a paper back then, you probably were already familiar with, with Ellsworth. Yes, from his I would think exploits so. as a, as a Chicago's WAV colonel. Yep. Yep. And uh, here he is, um, you know, now uh, the war has just begun and he, he's been, you know, he's been killed. Yeah, the article was not written uh, with the concept, oh, I, we have to explain who this person was. It was right. It was obvious who he was. Yep. Right. Um, so, uh, El, and we'll, let's go back to the cemetery, because you said yep. you have a, a story about... Well, I've got a couple. One is that money that um, we talked about that was given to the uh, uh, the fire's wives as a reward w became the seed money for the Ellsworth Monument, which is, which is over there um, uh, today. Now, other monies were needed, and that was easy to, to, uh, to collect it uh, through... Um, uh, various sources, so, so that's where the the uh, the monument came from. Uh, another story I think is very interesting. Uh, the monument is, I would say, 25 foot high, I believe. On top of it is a brass eagle that weighs 300 pounds. Mm. Okay. Well, in June of 1997, somebody noticed that the eagle was missing. It was gone. Uh, this was somewhat early in, in the uh, age of social media, but people from Mechanicsville put out the word on whatever uh, programs they were, were using that someone had stolen this eagle. And a junk dealer in Cape Cod called them and said, I've got it. Uh, some people came and, and uh, sold it to me and I paid them X amount of dollars for it. So it was returned. And I have a picture of a, a very large crane, a very heavy weight crane putting that eagle <laughs> back up there so the question is not only who took it but how the heck did they, <laughs> they do right. it <laughs> okay well the the first part of the question seems to be answered uh 
And here's the, the answer. There was a gentleman by the name, and I use that term very loosely, Gary Evans, who um, back in, in uh, about the year 2000 was con uh, convicted or was in the process. Of, he was charged in being in the process of uh, being convicted of a number of murders, some of which took place in Albany County, some of which took place in, in Rensselaer County, one of which took place out in Fulton County. He specialized in robbing antique stores, uh, jewelry, things like that. He knew the value of, of items. And he, um, he worked in conjunction with a number of other, other people. Well, Gary Evans um, decided to confess to a whole bunch of, of his past sins. And one of those sins was that he killed a uh, compatriot of his by the name of, of uh, Reisdorf, who, who was from Saratoga, uh, Gary Reisdorf. And he claimed that Gary Reisdorf was the one who, who took that uh, eagle off of there. Now, Gary Evans didn't kill him as a, a punishment for doing that. He killed him because he wanted some uh, jewelry that, <laughs> that he had. Right. But to make the story, uh, I think, even more interesting, Evans was being transported from Albany County to Rensselaer County, facing, you know, facing additional charges. And he was being transferred in a police vehicle. He was manacled had handcuffs on, he had uh, foot uh, manacles on, and he had secreted a handcuff key in his nose. And he got it out, he unhooked himself, he kicked the window of the vehicle out as it was going over the Menands Bridge from Albany County to uh, Redsdale County. He jumped off the bridge to his death. Wow. Either as a suicide or as a way to try to get out way to yeah, try to get out but i think it's uh, it's unique that gary evans who who had a, a hor he had a horrible life and he made the life of the people around him horrible is associated with someone who didn't have that type of a life wow yep. wow and so he he claimed not to have taken the the eagle, but but his said his, his good buddy who he, who killed, he killed did him. yes wow wow, um, so Paul, what led you to Ellsworth? I mean, is it just the the you know you live here in Malta and well, yeah. I, when I got the the position as historian, uh, I'm retired. Mm -hmm. I used to teach history a long time ago, and um, I felt an obligation to. Uh, one, learn the, the history of Malta, and then two, pass it on to uh, folks in town. Well, the history of Malta starts, it doesn't start with, with Elmer Ellsworth, I shouldn't say that, but uh, the most interesting and unique person who ever lived in town is Elmer Ellsworth. And so it's just a natural story for, for someone in my position to uh, be acquainted with. Um, and uh, oh, is there anything else you'd like to add, Paul? Well, we... th there's only one other thing, and that's that um, after Ellsworth's death, Lincoln wrote his parents a letter, and it's a very poignant letter. And if you don't mind, if you have of the course, time, I, I have it right here. I, my, I would well. like to read yeah. it. Okay, mm -hmm. it says to the to the father and mother of Colonel Elmer E. Ellsworth, my dear sir and madam, in the untimely loss of your noble son, our affection here is scarcely less than your own. So much of promised usefulness to one's country and of bright hopes of one's self and friends have rarely been so suddenly dashed as in his fall. In size, in years, and in youthful appearance, a boy only. 
his power to command men was surprisingly great. This power, combined with a fine intellect and an indomitable energy and a taste altogether military, constituted in him, as seemed to me, the best natural talent in that department I ever knew. And yet he was surprisingly modest and deferential in social intercourse. My acquaintance with him began less than two years ago, yet through the latter half of the intervening period, it was as intimate as the disparity of our ages and my engrossing engagements would permit. To me, he appeared to have no indulgences or pastimes, and I never heard him utter, utter a profane or intemperate word. What was conclusive of his good heart, he never forgot his parents. The honors he labored for so laudably, and in the sad end so gallantly, gave his life he meant for them, no less than for himself. In the hope that it may be no intrusion upon his sacredness of your sorrow, I have ventured to address you this tribute to the memory of my young friend and your brave and early fallen child. May God give you the consolation which is beyond all earthly powers. Sincerely, your friend in a common affliction, A. Lincoln. Wow. There's nobody better than Lincoln there, writing a letter like there that. There is no one who, who could and write like Lincoln. And clearly, um, yeah. you know, somebody who was touched, deeply yes. touched yeah. by the yeah. by the death of that. Yeah, those, those three years of schooling must have been pretty powerful. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, uh, thank you so much Certainly. for doing this. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Paul Perrault, uh, the town of Malta historian. <clears throat> uh, and uh, uh, thank you for listening. You're welcome.